Ahoy and welcome to the Mojo Podcast, part of Mike's Open Journal. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and that includes all things illness, wellness, stigma and support and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, starting conversations and mentioning some of those tools that have supported your well-being. I want to say thanks for being part of the podcast, whether that's as a guest, as a listener, hopefully as a subscriber. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you that you're not alone out there. Thank you for being part of the Mojo Podcast. These are real people, they do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves, I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. I don't think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to like it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Mojo Podcast and to episode 163 or 64. My name's Mike and I hope you are having a great week. Whatever you are doing, it is, um, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's dark and wet outside, so I've not got a lot to offer you there. Um, <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you're having a good week. This week, uh, we've got uh, another new guest. I'm I'm amazed. I'm amazed that we uh, constantly have new guests that want to to come onto the podcast and to share their stories and their experience and their insights. And I think it's a hugely beneficial thing for us to do to to engage in those conversations with new people and hear about their experiences. So I'm delighted to have Lynn with us today. We're going to be talking a little bit about having hope with mental health, OCD, eating disorders. Um, a couple of other things in there as well I think for me this was a really cool conversation to to start to get into something that I think we've kind of touched on maybe a couple of times in previous podcasts but never really directly covered I don't think maybe once maybe once before Um, and that's kind of the side of being a parent who has a child that is affected by a mental health illness and symptoms um, and kind of what that can entail and some of the struggles that you might have as a parent uh, so I think it was really interesting to, to hear from Lynn and get a bit of her experience and her insight having been in that situation but also hear a little bit more about her own knowledge um, and that comes across really well um, in the episode and we also get to signpost too lynn's books as well so you're going to have to have a look for those so there'll be a link in the description to the places that you can find out a little bit more about lynn uh, and some of the stuff that she's produced and been part of as well 
but I want to say a huge thank you to all of you for continuing to be a part of the podcast for continuing to engage hope you enjoy this episode as always if you're interested in coming on yourself in the future you can contact me at mikesopenjournal.com I would love to hear from you and, and have a little bit of a chat next week just before we give you this week's next week we're going to have a short episode with um, next week I think no next week's not Christmas is it <laughs> <laughs> oh dear um next i think next week we've just got a short episode for you um it's going to be a little bit of signposting and some of the different things that are going on um but i think next week's the, the short episode so look out for that one and then maybe we're off the week afterwards i've uh, lost track but anyway enjoy this episode huge thank you to lynn for coming on sharing her experience and her knowledge i hope you enjoy it and here it is if you're happy to tell us about what's been going on for you recently Okay, in, my name's Dean Crilly, uh, I'm a mental health counsellor and an author of the Hope with Book Range. Um, in the last week, um, on a personal side, my husband hit the grand old age of 60 and we had a surprise dinner party for him oh, wow. on Saturday with all his friends down by the coast because they're all kite surfers. Um, and in between that, I've been working with clients and um, I've started my new book, Hope with Anxiety, which is in the early stages of being born. But the most exciting thing this week is that I should be getting the hard copies of my new book, Hope with Depression, by the end of the week. today. And obviously being a mum, doing mum things. So that's what I've been doing this week. I've got girls, two girls that are 28, they're twins. Um, one of them got married a month ago and um, to a lovely boy, lovely man, and Callum, and Sam, her twin sister, and Jay are moving out together in February, so. Oh, busy time. Yes, we've got lots happening and lots going on, personally and professionally. Yeah, wow, feels like a, a quite a, an interesting time to sit down and have a chat, of a lot has started to happen, has happened, and is about to happen. Changing, but they're all positive changes. Yeah. Um, so you've given us kind of a little bit of an insight as well as to 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 yourself and to well part of the reason why we've why we've sat down to have a chat and hear a little bit more about some of the um, the knowledge you've been sharing through through the book books now plural um, that that, that are coming out. Um, kind of where did where did that interest and um, I guess passion for, for, for mental health and for sharing that education and that knowledge come from? Okay, um, well one, as I've already said, I've got two beautiful girls, uh, Charlotte and Samantha, and they're now 28, but at the age of 13, Sam was diagnosed with the early stages of um, anorexia nervosa. We spent the next three years um, all in the system privately and through the NHS, to which, um, to know about it, didn't work for us. So I decided to discharge her, hmm. which was probably a little bit unorthodox at the time, but it was, as a mum, that was what I felt was best. And um, she then went into recovery. We worked, so I did everything that I could. We had the support of our GP and the girls' school. And she went into recovery, um, obviously learned a lot through that, made a lot of um, mistakes, but 
also made a lot of things right. Um, we then were asked to do some work for an eating disorder charity, uh, which we did do, and through that, someone came up to me and said, would I help them with their daughter? And my husband said to me, why don't you just try it? And from that moment on, I've never looked back. So I now work predominantly with um, children or young people under the age of 25 with uh, multiple mental illnesses. Um, and it was then that I decided to write my first book, Hope With Eating Disorders, which was published in 2012 and, and found its way all around the world. Um, my daughter then um, suffered, was still suffering with OCD. The eating disorder had gone, but she was still with OCD. So I was supporting her through that, um, which then led on to OCD. But and obviously I learned a lot and the second time round Sam opened up so I sort of had a real insight into her mind and mm. how the mind was working how her mind was working um, and she found herself through drama she uh, at the age of 25 she went and did a degree she stayed at home but she did a degree in performing arts which I think was the making of her and she's now the happiest and healthiest I've ever seen her. She, she graduated in November 2018. And she has her own poetry. She writes poetry um, about mental health and mental illness and resilience and self-esteem. And her book's coming out in May. And she's engaged. Wow. Lovely young woman, which is really nice. Now, she's the happiest and healthiest I've seen her. And, um, yeah, so I went on to write Hope with OCD, and then the publisher asked me to write a second edition of the Eating, Hope with Eating Disorders, um, which I, I thought would be uh, quite naively, um, quite easy. But then when I reread the whole book, I ended up stripping the whole book back and starting again, because <laughs> eating disorders have evolved a lot in the eight years since I wrote the first one. Yeah. And then, yeah, um, having suffered depression myself years ago, I've now written Hope with Depression, which is due out in January the 20th, which I'm really excited about. Wow, so, it's a huge... Very, very, very busy. But my, my passion, I think, as a mum, I get contacted by so many other parents who are desperate. Mm. Um, mm. They don't know what to do, where to go. Um, and I think I write very simply, simply um, and from the heart and the books and from experience. And I use contributors from all walks of life. So this and the books come alive. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I don't think I've really had time to sort of sit back and see where our stories led us. So I think it's really interesting that you've got that that experience and that knowledge but also that tied to it's particularly a f kind of a family experience um right. and that conversation about uh, being a parent with a child that's affected by a mental health illness is is really difficult and actually unfortunately unfortunately a situation that kind of an increasing number of people have found themselves in um I think from conversations I've had with people in the past, they've often spoken about 
uh, this idea that there's kind of a lot of resources that are available but they're not necessarily accessible people don't know where they are um, and it's hard to access is that is that kind of made even more difficult when you are kind of wanting to care for someone else that's experiencing it and they might not be able to sort of describe it accurately to you at that time as well it makes it even more difficult to know what you need to be looking for I think well a lot of people there's still stigma around mental illness sadly and I think a lot of people are frightened of what they can't see Hmm. Um, and I think people don't always know how to approach the person that's suffering um, and the sufferer doesn't always know what's happening to them. Um, when Sam was going through the OCD, she thought she was going mad. She really did. Um, because obviously all the thoughts in your head, you, you, there is no logic to them because they're illogical. Mm. Um, and I, I think there are a lot of places to go. In, within my books, I use all different types of therapies, therapists both alternative and mainstream and they all write about their individual discipline um, and as we know there are no two people that are the same so no two people respond to a treatment in the same way hmm. so what works for one person might not work for another so um, I try to highlight in in the books that you know if one treatment isn't working then try another um, don't be afraid to try something else hmm. um, so it is, it is very difficult as a parent because I think you have to come to terms with it yourself and parents tend to blame themselves as well. Um, and one thing that I have learned is that most of the time it's not the parent's fault. Mm. Mm. It is just one of those things. I mean, I brought two girls up the same, exactly the same, and one of them's had mental health issues and one hasn't. Mm. You know, they're twins. They experienced everything at the same time. Um so, you know, most of the time, I think some people are just more susceptible to mental illness than others, sadly. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think it is that side of um, that. There's that element of this is, uh, I mean, for lack of knowledge, this is science. <laughs> um, and it is down to, to uh, chemicals and things that are happening inside our body and the way that we react to things the way that we interpret them and experience them are going to be very different so like you say actually having that situation where you have um two people that have gone through the kind of the exact same experiences but will in kind of experience them in a very different way um truly highlights that and i think that is really important when we're talking about resources and support and um, it's great if something's worked for someone else, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will work for you. But equally, yeah. it's that other side of um, I feel like people are a little bit happier and a little bit more willing to say this didn't work. This was rubbish. Um, then they will praise something and go, actually, do you know what? Because it didn't work for you, that doesn't mean it's not going to work for me. And it's still worth giving something a try for yourself and work out whether it's for you or not. Oh, definitely. De- de- definitely. Because, and, and different people are more open to different styles of therapy, mm. particularly mm. in the alternative. You know, a lot of alternative ther- therapies are, can really make a difference, but I think you have to be open-minded. Mm. If you go open-minded, then they've got more chance of, you know, helping. 
I agree, and I think it is, it's that side, isn't it, of getting or trying to tackle the stigma to make things more accessible. Um, and I suppose that kind of ties in, in in terms of having those open conversations and you're doing that through through writing, through sharing your, your experience and your, your knowledge. Um, did that, was that quite a big shift or how did that feel kind of when you were writing that first book to to be talking about something that we often as a society don't really talk about that much um how, how did that feel and how how was that kind of that first time eating disorder book it was i was okay with that when we wrote hope with ocd because sam still suffers with ocd she's in charge of it as opposed to it being in charge of her but she still does have ocd hmm. um i think we all found because we all talk in that both me my husband and he's never got mental illness, although he's lived with it for many years. He accepts it, mm. but he doesn't understand it. Mm. Um, and Charlotte, Sam's twin sister, um, she wrote very honestly. So, um, and Sam's fiance wrote in the book as well, amongst many others. Um, and my mum, who comes from a totally different era. Um, so I think we're very open, and the girls also, so have a YouTube channel called Hope and they talk very openly on there. They're gathering quite a following um, because they do talk openly about how it affected them. They talk about different subjects. Um, Sam talks about OCD, eating disorders, anxiety. Charlotte talks from a sibling perspective because often or not the siblings get left behind. Hmm. Um, siblings can be not intentionally but can be sidelined I know Charlotte was at one point you know we were very guilty of that because all your focus goes on to sorting you know trying to help the child that is ill yeah Um, and I think obviously you know we made a lot of mistakes I made a lot of mistakes we made a lot of mistakes along the way and I suppose we talk about or impart our knowledge about what we could have done differently, perhaps to make things a bit easier, what we learned mm. along the way to help others, so that mm. perhaps they can trip up as much as what we did. Mm. I think um, that it's that side, isn't it, of we will all make mistakes, we will just make our own. <laughs> like everyone, everyone will have things that they've done that they go, oh, if I'd have known this then, I wouldn't have done that. But you didn't, so you couldn't have. And I think it is that that's that benefit of this shared knowledge um, that hopefully comes from from things like the books. Um, but just having conversations, I think, is hugely important. It's isn't necessarily about changing people's minds on things, but it's about opening them, opening them up, um, and showing that there is a different way to approach conversations, a different way to interpret things. And I really liked that. Um, the phrasing that you had around um kind of your husband's understanding i can't but it was like he kind of he he, he gets it he, he understands yeah. but he doesn't understand um yeah and, he accepts it yeah but he doesn't understand even to this day and he's lived with it for many years yeah the, uh, but he sam said that once and um, someone was trying to understand her ocd mm. and in the end she turned and said you just have to accept it yeah to understand it. you know you, you'll never make logic 
part of it. it you'll never read them with something unreasonable. Um, and yeah, I think you just, to be able to move forward, you mm. have to accept it and, and not try and dissect it because yeah. you never know. Yeah, I think it's, it is that side of having just acceptance uh, and being able to move forward. There is obviously that initial period where we all want to, I suppose, problem solve and uh, kind of improve people's situation. But for the long term, really just that acceptance and actually, okay, how can we educate ourselves? How can we be more supportive? That's That's what is more useful, I think, often rather than we now need to make you better, whatever that looks like, um, and kind of remove this from your life. Actually, even if you want to do that, probably the best way to do it is just embrace it and actually raise that that kind of awareness, raise that education and um, have those open conversations that you're starting. Um, obviously, you guys are doing that already, but starting in other places through the books. Yes, but also everyone can leap into action and do everything that they can, mm. but the actual, the only person that really has the cure is the person that still, it lies within them. They have to want to get better. Mm. Um, and I think that can be the most frustrating thing for the carer or the mm. person looking after them. Mm. Um, with any mental illness, I mean, all mental illnesses to the sufferer are tormenting. You know, no one, no illness is worse than the other. Um, but they have to really want to get better, mm. otherwise they're not going to. Um, and I think that that is another thing that is quite hard to accept. You know, there is no magic pill that can, you know, you can take and you'll be whoever you were. Mm. That's that side, I guess, of being the person, like you say, that, that being the carer or the person that's alongside somebody else. Um is a very difficult situation and you can't for the most part you can't force someone to receive support or a particular service um uh, and that's really difficult when we have in our mind that oh, this person needs uh, a particular support or particular resource and it can be really difficult because actually the more you look into it the more knowledge you gain the more you're aware of what someone could benefit from um, but it's being able to step back and go, okay, yeah, but that's my, that's kind of my desire. That's what I want to get out of this. It has to be for the other person. Because sometimes, and I've been guilty of this as well. Sometimes you can want more for them or different things, like than what they want themselves. Not so much with Sam because she's really, um, she hasn't found it easy, and she still challenges herself every day. But she has always wanted recovery. But sometimes some of the people that I work with, I want more for them than what they want themselves at that mm. point. Mm. And sometimes you have to let the person come to the decision themselves that they're ready or that sometimes they like to just sort of stand still for a little while, adjust to that, and then go to the next stage. Um, and that, as a carer or a loved one, can be quite frustrating it can be quite challenging and it and it can be quite upsetting as well yeah. because obviously you can see from the outside looking in what needs to happen but it has it has to come from them and that's what in, in the book recovery is always possible 
but the person has to want it themselves. Mm. Has it been, I mean, you kind of touched on it already, but has that been particularly difficult, um, more so, I guess, for the personal side, to be able to step back and, and kind of wait to some extent for, for that person to be ready to, to access support? I think, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm learning every day. I learn through my own family. I learn through the people that I work with. I learn from the people that help me with my books. Hmm. Very specific the book. Every book's got over 100 contributors in it. And they're all lovely people sharing their stories, supporting us. Um, so it's up to me, really, to learn from others and to take it in and know I think with time and obviously experience, you you just you can never stop learning, mm. and it's a lot. Of, I learn from different situations. And recovery is different for everyone. There is no right or wrong way to recover, and some people want different things from their recovery, and it's about letting them decide what they want their recovery to look like because mm. it's their life. So, whereas I think with some, um, I think in the past, I think, how can I put this? I think there's always been like this recovery is this rose-coloured garden, this rose-filled garden, and everyone's yeah. happy, this, that, and the other, and it's all back to being perfect. But that isn't really recovery. You know, there is no finish line. Yeah. It's journey to get to wherever you need to go, and sometimes you know life is recovery hmm. and it's learning your limits and your um triggers as well i think that's really important that idea i mean as we've said everyone is different in their interpretation of stuff and what works for them will be different but that was very much kind of my experience and continues to be my experience of, of mental health illness is that actually not having that idea of I'm I'm aiming for this 100% better version of myself. Actually, it's just about a continued development. I want to continue to be able to better manage my own symptoms. I want to be more aware of them. Um, and not having that finish line, as you say, is actually I've found very empowering. That's very much worked for me. But I know there are some people actually that love that need that. They want to work towards that hundred percent. They want to work towards having that kind of perfect version. Um, and I think it's a great example of why conversation, uh, open, non-judgmental conversation, is so important. Because if what someone is talking about is not your interpretation or what you see as recovery, or that's not how I've experienced my illness or that's not how my treatment has supported me. You're only going to gain that understanding through conversation to realise everyone's experience is different. Yes, and it's about coming to, it's about a process that that person goes through and an understanding that they arrive at. Mm. um, Yeah, I think, whereas I... I think there was always this myth that it was this certain way or certain place. And the other thing that I'd like to say is that often not the person isn't the same person that they were when they started the illness. They come out differently Mm. because obviously, but often not, they come out stronger and more self-aware for it. Yeah. 
um, and they have a, like an internal belief of themselves. And I think that's a, um, you know, like I work with people with eating disorders and um, one mum said to me, well, you know, well, when, when's she going to eat a biscuit? When are we going to be able to go and eat cake and coffee? Mm-hmm. And the girl doesn't want to eat cake and, cake and biscuits. And that's fine. Her weight's fine. You know, she doesn't want to eat cake and coffee, uh, cake and biscuits. She wants to eat more, um, I don't know, more, dare I say it, healthily. But yeah. she doesn't, she doesn't yeah. want to eat her, her um, The balance that she has is a different sort of balance now. Just because she's not eating cake mm. doesn't mean to say that she's not in recovery. She just doesn't want to. Yeah. I mean, when Sam's eating disorder first started, and my plan, she loved her food. And um, I, she said, I don't remember this, but she said that I said to her once, well, we'll know you're better when you can go back to TGI Fridays and have that big chocolate nut sundae that you used to like. Mm. And needless to say, she is well into recovery. Well, the eating disorder's gone. Mm. And we haven't been back to TVIs, and she hasn't had the big chocolate nut Sunday, but that doesn't just need to say that she's not in recovery. Yeah. So I think it's people change their perceptions yes. and what they want. But that she, I wouldn't change who Sam is now. Mm, mm. That's a really nice example, though, because it's. Um, it is hard to parent because you remember them how they were. Mm. And often or not, they come out as a different person, but that doesn't mean to say that they're still not them. They've just found who they are on their journey. Mm. And maybe they didn't know who they were when they went into it. And it's very deep, being very deep. <laughs> no, like it, it's, I suppose it's because that part of that journey has happened, um, not without you, that part, that part of their journey has happened out of your view um because it's happened internally um that you're not necessarily aware of how that's changed and i really like that example of when you were talking about the we'll know you're better when you do this um because that's what you're i feel like i'm saying the same stuff that's your interpretation of what better looked like for her um but it's not better for her yes yeah 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 um but without having that conversation at a later stage for you to know, like you say, I, I'm not sure if I said this or not, but she said I have. Well, if you hadn't had that conversation, sure. you wouldn't be aware of oh, that, the different views that we had at that time um, and how that's probably allowed you to have that relationship where it is open and you can talk about your your views of what happened and how it happened and the way that you've your relationship has grown as well as both of your understanding of mental health um, is actually a really positive thing and something I imagine some people haven't had that opportunity to have that open dialogue with the people that are around them. I think, yes, I would agree to that. I think at the beginning, um, you go through as a parent, when you go through all these different emotions, um, and you obviously, there's the usual way you blame yourself and blah, blah, blah. But I think the, for us, once we started to actually 
talk about everything, things started to change. And I'm very much, let's get it all out in the open um, anyway. I'm quite a strong, the, the whole process has made me a lot stronger because um, you have to be strong to fight any mental illness, especially if it's your child. Hmm. Um, well, anyone, not especially. Um, but I'm, even now, we're very open about it, very, very open. And I think that helps some, that helps Sam. And, and it, but it helps all of us to understand her better. Hmm. There's like an understanding of it all. Um, and I think, yeah, sadly, because this, of this, I think some people are, maybe people are afraid of what they'll heal back, hit, of what the person will say back to them um, yeah. that can put people off wanting hmm. to talk about it. But even now, we talk very, very openly, and I think that has also given me a empathy towards the people that I work with, and it comes through in the books that I do get it. I get it from, I understand most of the Sam Ted and the people that I work with because I encourage them to talk to me, hmm. um, but I also understand it from a parent's perspective as well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, from Charlotte works with me part-time, um, from a sibling's point of view as well. So but I would say to everyone, never accept that this is as good as it gets because it can always get better. Hmm. I think that's uh, an amazing point to, to start rounding off our conversation um, on the importance of, of having conversation. Uh, I know we've kind of touched on it a couple of times. You've got um, the the book out at the moment but there's also a new book in January as well so I don't know if you want to give us just some of the details um, or, of when that's happening again but also if people want to find out a little bit more where they can go um, and where to find out about the book and the other stuff that you're doing as well. Okay my website is www.lynnlycrilly.com dot com so www.linkcreen.com and um, my books are hope with ocd with the second edition and the one coming out in january which is january the 20th which is a monday it's the third monday in january which is now classed as blue monday which apparently is the most depressing day of the year um it's called hope with depression that covers what is depression types of depression um, I look at recognizing and seeking treatment um, there's I've used a lot of different therapists in there with using different styles both alternative and mainstream um, there is a chapter on suicide and um, depression and um, there are some people that have contributed their stories to it uh, there is depression in the under 25s, which sadly is on the, which sadly is growing. Uh, depression in social media, I've covered in the workplace, um, other illnesses. It's quite a big book. It's over 103,000 words. And in the home. Wow. Uh, yes, yeah, so I was very blessed. Um, there's over 150 contributors. No, I think there's 121 contributors in the book, um, all of which have given their time and energy um, and I can't thank them enough because without them 
I wouldn't have been able to produce the books. Um, yeah, and it's for sale on Amazon or through my website or through other online retailers. So, and I just really hope that it, and I've suffered depression when the, um, probably about 10, no, about 20 years ago. So I know what depression feels like. Um, and yeah, I just, um, I really hope that it helps the people that need it. So I, I, I hope that if anyone wants it, it's, it's available for pre-order now. And yeah, so I, I hope people will let me know what they think of it. So I really, I'm really interested in the, uh, the contributor side and actually sharing multiple stories, multiple insights. And I think, I feel like we've spent the last sort of 40 minutes talking about everyone's experience is different and what a great tie into the, the books um, where you're going to be able to hear, um, hear, where you're going to be able to read um, different people's experiences of, of mental health illness and what that's been like for them. Yes, and they, they do, they give me uh, their snippets. So within my writing, I put in their uh, quote here. Um, and they're all from all walks of life, um, both male and female, all different ages. I've used teachers have contributed in the education chapter, obviously professionals. Um, and yes. I mean, it, it just proves that no one, no two people are the same. The other um, resource that I would like to plug, if that's okay, yeah, go for it. is my daughter's YouTube channel, which is um, Hope with Mental Health. And they talk, I occasionally pop up on there, but I, I don't really, um, they do a lot on there. And they cover siblings, the different mental illnesses, how they cope with certain things, um, social media. Um, obviously have school and they interview people on their channel as well um, and I would highly recommend that too Oh amazing Well, uh, I'll make sure we've got um, I, I'm not sure if they're clickable but we'll make sure that there's links um, in the description for the podcast as well so we can quickly get to, to the website and some of those um, resources as well um, but thank you so much for coming on and, and for sharing your experience and that insight as well. And um, I think it's it's always amazing to hear um, someone come on and share their story, but also to know that it's going to be accessible to other people that through the, the I still can't quite get over the books and the size and the scale of <laughs> when, when you said that, I was like, oh my goodness, how big is that book? Um, just that. It's big, it's big, but it's, it's not. <laughs> It's not unreadable. I don't know any big words, so um, it's quite accessible and hopefully easy reading. So, but it is a big book. But I hope, yeah, even the publisher was like, "Oh my god, this one is big." <laughs> um, I say that if anyone is listening that does have a loved one or going through it themselves, that recovery is always possible, and please don't give up. Our story is testament to that, that, that um, families can be rebuilt and, you know, recovery provided the sufferer once it is always possible. Thank you. If you talked 15 years ago what I would be doing now when we ventured into, it was just beginning for us, I, you know, and the most important thing for me is that both of my girls are happy and healthy. And whilst it's been a bit of a roller coaster to get here, 
I can almost just sit here and say that it will get better. So, never give up, guys. And I think we can't really add much to that. I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap up there. Okay, thank you. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.